Oh my God. It is the 300th Sustainability Now. Welcome, friends. My name is Justin Mogg. You're tuned in to Community Radio here in Louisville. We're Forward Radio WFMP 106.5 FM, or you might be listening to our live stream at forwardradio.org. And in honor of 300 shows, why don't you go to forwardradio.org, click participate, and click donate. I want you all, the listeners, to get behind the microphones, and I want you to dig deep in your pockets and help sustain this great community treasure for another year. I cannot believe that I have now produced 300 shows on this station. We went on air in April of 2017, and my very first guest in April of 2017 is now back on the other side of the interview desk again. Chris Glasser, welcome back to the studio. Thank you, Justin. It is an honor to be here once again. <laughs> so honored. So much has changed in these some odd, six some odd years now. But Chris Glasser is now with Streets for People. It used to be known as Bicycling for Louisville. Streets for People is a wonderful organization that is all about transforming Louisville's streets in neighborhoods into vibrant, active, inviting spaces where people can live active, healthy lifestyles and not be oppressed by everything being designed for speed and heavy, dangerous vehicles. Right, Chris? That's exactly right. You said it. And of course, bicycles are part of the mix. And Chris and I met on two wheels and we would love to talk about that. But we're going to talk about just get an update on things going on in Louisville and some recommendations, especially, you know, we got a new year started here and we have a new mayor. Right, Chris? That's exactly right. Uh, Greenberg administration is not even a month old. Right. And what have you heard? Have you been involved in any of this transition? Well, I mean, I'm not involved in the sense that I'm in any official way. You've been knocking I, on doors? And, <laughs> and... <laughs> but, you know, I, I have talked to the new mayor. and I've... Oh, really? spoken to the deputy mayor Nicole George who is overseeing public works just about you know different proposals and ideas for the new administration yeah yeah and I know there is even been some talk about a Department of Transportation for the city and and that that's one of the sort of reform priorities that streets for people has shared and by the way folks can learn more at streetsforpeople.org or you can follow them on Twitter right you do a lot of tweeting. We do the tweets. Even in the current Twitter <laughs> space. <laughs> we do. And that's it. Streets, the number four. Peeps. I love it. Streets for Peeps. Easter's coming up. We got to get ready for Peeps. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, tell us about what's the Department of Transportation mean at a city level? And why is it important? Yeah, so it is one of a, a few organizational proposals that we've put forward both at the state and the city level. And as far, as far as the Department of Transportation goes, it's a different way of thinking about our city streets. You know, currently we have a Department of Public Works, and that department, you know, is concerned with cleaning the roads, mm. you know, picking up trash, you know, utilities, uh, utilities uh, snow removal, things like that. And one of those tasks that they do is traffic engineering. Right. And it sort of sits under public works amongst all these other tasks and city <laughs> services that is provided. And I think other cities have elevated transportation to its own, its mm. own department to mm. say, 
this is not really like the other things. It's happening on the same space. You know, it's happening on our city streets, but it's it's a different consideration, and we don't want to put it under that same heading. And the idea to call it transportation is is it's also thinking about it more holistically. Transportation includes walking. It includes right. biking. It includes transit. Uh, so buses or, or other modes of transportation in addition to cars. So it's not just traffic. It's yeah transportation and that is a broader term that includes any person who might be on a street right. how they might be moving right and i think that's especially valuable from a streets for people perspective because you're not just talking about moving vehicles through a space right like streets for people's envisioning spaces that feel a lot different than most of our roads in louisville because of things like how sidewalks are designed, uh, street furniture, uh, trees, right? Uh, active spaces where you might have people dining out on the street, right? Uh, we totally, see this yeah. in other cities. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really happy with, with the way the organization has sort of changed its focus away from being bicycling for Louisville to streets for people because, to your point, it's not even always about moving people through a space. It can yeah. be about staying in, staying in a space, sitting in a space, enjoying a space, being a resident of that space. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like we were talking about Breckenridge Street on the, you know, right yeah, before we came on the just air. did a tree planting just, out there with Metro. And that yeah. is a great way to make it a better street for people, you know. And street, I actually, we, we, were, we were out there planting, Chris, I got to tell you, and a fellow was just strolling down the sidewalk and he's like, oh, thank you guys so much. This is great. You're doing great work. Like, people really do care about the streetscape, right? It's an important public space. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's, that's our bread and butter. That's what we're all about. It's, it's public space, the most public space that this city has is in its streets. And so we need to be thoughtful about how we're using that public space. Right. And so these projects of transforming streets are complex. And I think that's why we're saying we really need a department of transportation yeah, that's totally. focused on this, right? That can manage all these different moving parts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think where that recommendation comes from is an observation that our city government has not made good on a number of promises regarding projects that it's coming forward with. <laughs> right, and so we're still waiting. We are not exhibiting an ability to complete projects as a city. You know, if you look at the projects that the city of Louisville receives fun funding for, they're often like really nice, good projects. You know, like we've received federal funding for a two-way conversion of Seventh and Eighth Street and, and a Jefferson Street. And, you know, that's, a, that's yeah. a that's a great project. Those are great projects right there. You know, that funding is like six years old, let's say, to say nothing of, you know, projects like the East Market Street. It's mm. like Nulu redesign. That's a project that, you know, we have been talking about as a city completing for over a decade. And Ugh. it's becoming like an eye roll um, amongst <laughs> people, you know, that this project is ever going to get completed. And that, you know, we've received the funding and we just can't, you know, complete it. And so we need a department that is competent enough to do the projects that have been funded. And because, and when we don't complete them, you know, let's say we've allocated $10 million for project X and then we don't complete it this year. And then five years down the road with inflation and yeah. everything else, so suddenly that $10 million doesn't cover and you have to go back to the funding source. They actually, you know, bah, bah, we need more money. And so, you know, <laughs> it's not just, it's not just that like, man, it would have been nice to have this two years ago. It's like, well, actually, since we haven't completed, we've created new problems and it, it just has a whole domino effect on right. our ability to move in the city. Ugh. And some of these two-way conversions seem especially like low-bar 
simple projects from my perspective, like you even have stoplights facing the wrong direction, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> for, the, signals, for the old yeah. when it used to be two way, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you don't even need to get new ones. And so like Campbell yeah. Street as one of these shining examples. And if you go to streetsforpeople.org and look under Waterfront Parkway, you can learn about this vision for a multi-use pathway on Campbell Street that would connect where people live, Highlands, Paris Town, East Broadway area, all the way down to our amazing Big Four Bridge that everybody wants to walk and bike on, right? But they kind of have to drive to because there's no safe connector. 100%. Yeah. We have no safe way to walk or bike to Waterfront Park. And that's insane considering, you know, how established, well-established Waterfront Park is. Yeah. You know, and to me, this is this is a thing where when I'm putting that proposal forward on our website, I'm attempting to talk, like, directly to Mayor Craig Greenberg to say, like, this should be a priority. Yeah. <laughs> like, this would be a popular project. This is an affordable project. Here's an example of Indianapolis doing something similar. Mm. Like, let's do that. Let's mm. let's spend $10 million on that or find $10 million in federal funding for that. Yeah. That, to me, is one of those projects that I think for most people is sort of like, I hope, very intuitive when they see something like that to say like, oh, yeah, like I would love to be able to walk from my house in Paristown Point down or this. Nulu, right? Like or there's Nulu, all those development. To... Waterfront Park. Literally, there's no sidewalk in Campbell Street near the Big Four Bridge by the New Lynn Stadium there. It's insane to me. Like, how can this... And there used to be some lighting, and now the street lights aren't even there. It's like half broken up with gravel. It's like not even a good road, much less like a pleasant, safe place for people to get to this shining gem of an asset that the city has invested in, right? And it would be so simple to fix. It's not... We're not it should be something ridiculous here. And I think for a long time, there's there's been this, like, you know, spoken from, from the metro government side that, like, these things are more complicated than, you know, you residents think. And, you know, what do we know as, as sort of layperson <laughs> right. advocates? But I do think, you know, to maybe shift it in a different direction, I think KYTC, under the recent, you know, Bashir administration, he's appointed Jim Gray, the former mayor mm, of Lexington, yeah. to be the transportation secretary at the state level. And the state has actually been able to do some projects and fund some projects that are great. And they've been able to, you know, complete them in a way that, like, the city has not. And I think they're sort of an interesting contrast where, you know, we have these two government entities working on city streets. One is KYTC, the state transportation department. And then there's the Metro group. And Metro, for so long, has just been incapable of completing projects. And then KYTC comes in and, like, for really like a million and a half dollars is able to totally redesign Bardstown Road. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, a a great project, you know, narrow the road, provide bump outs, make it more pedestrian-friendly, plant trees, great stuff. And then they have also fully funded for $3 million a two-way conversion of Logan Street and Shelby Street in Mm. the Smoketown and Shelby Park neighborhood. And that is a project that they are fully expecting to finish this summer. Whereas, like, you know, you talk to Metro about the two-way conversion of 7th and 8th that's been on the radar for six six years. They're like, (laughs) we have no timeline at all for this project. (laughs) So the state is like, here is a two-way conversion. We will complete it this summer. And not only that, we will remove traffic signals and replace them with all-way stop signs. And, you know, and it's like all these things that we've asked of the city for a decade – you know, suddenly the state comes in and is like, oh, yeah, we, we can do that. 
<laughs> and are they doing it in a way that's kind of like railroading it through, or are they actually asking for neighbor input? Because I know neighbors in Shelby's Park and Smoketown have been meeting around this Logan Street Shelby two-way conversion plan, and they have some thoughts. Like they, we've seen the initial the plans, and we're asking for some slight changes, right? Like you want to talk about some of that? Yeah. Well, I think at the high level, like, yes, they're listening to neighbors because this is a thing that neighbors, streets of people in the Shelby Park neighborhood brought to the state three or four years ago. And so it's been funded. And, you know, the the preliminary plan, like I would say, if the plan that they've come forward with as of like December 2022, if that's what exists, like that's amazing. That's a great plan. Like they're two-way conversion. So much better than So, so great. (laughs) Like, you know, again... Replacing traffic signals with always stops, which is, is a good way for traffic calming and a number of like enhanced crosswalks, especially around Logan Street Market, like just great, smart features. And, you know, we've come back to them and said, here are like seven things that we would like you all to additionally consider. And that conversation sort of hasn't like officially happened yet. We've sort of sent that correspondence. But I think bigger picture, it's like, you know, they are hearing us in the sense that like our state Senator Denise Harper Angel is going to KYTC, helping us get this funding. The engineers are producing a plan set that is, you know, really, really good. You know, it's it's like it's a B plus, it's an A minus. You know, we just want it to be an A plus. You know, right. and I think again, I have no problems with what's been put forward. I think it's, it's great. And again, when that project is completed, it'll be a great street for people. It'll be great for the residents of Shelby Street, the you know the businesses of Logan Street, mm-hmm. the pedestrians coming to Logan Street Market. And, mm-hmm. You know, it'll be great for all these people. Some of whom are interested in moving through the space. Some right. of people are interested in sitting in the space a and ta- place talking be, yeah. space and living in the space. So I'm really excited about that project. And I think KYTC is really doing a great job right now. My guest here on the 300th edition of Sustainability Now, I can't believe it's been that long, is Chris Glasser from Streets for People. You can learn more at streetsforpeople.org. You can also follow them on Twitter at Streets, the number four peeps. And you can get some of their gear, right? You got merch. <laughs> we do. We do. I was showing you my shirt. I need to give you one. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, know, I, feel I like love you, the logo. Thank you, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> We're talking about two-way conversions. I don't even think I've had a chance to tell you about this, Chris. Tell me. But I have been actually at, in my role at UofL as like one of the only people at UofL who seems to be paying attention to bicycles. I have been pulled into conversations with KYTC about impending plans for that you know that you probably know that they're talking about two weighing third street and second street. Yeah. Well, as a part of that project, they're now able to think about doing what we call a road diet. Now, I've heard people don't like that term anymore. But anyway, reducing from four lanes of traffic to three with room for bike lanes, Third Street, as it cuts through our campus, basically, it's always been this four-way superhighway that cuts between like the main academic core and extra library and then all the sort of student housing, food, recreation. So students are crossing that Third Street all the time. And there is one designated pedestrian crossing with the light. It's It works okay, but it kind of still serves as this barrier and it's not a certainly if you're biking down third street there it's not a pleasant place to be so the state is driving forward with this plan of doing that road diet and putting in facilities for bikes and transit pullouts and we're going to be able to just close that 
cut off to over to Second Street because you won't need to go to Second Street anymore. So that whole piece of pavement <laughs> from Brandeis to Cardinal is now going to be a green space for us, right? It's that's, a, so that's amazing. Cool. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. <laughs> Do you feel like KYTC is, would push that, or did UofL push that? Oh, it was totally KYTC coming knocking on our door. That's I mean, amazing. we've had it as like a goal forever, but pre brochure I think people felt like KYTC wouldn't wouldn't really have a positive conversation about that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's an awesome project. Yeah. Amazing. Right. I love it. So we love seeing these two ways coming in. You want to talk a little bit about what else Streets for People is really putting forward as like these kind of policy reforms we'd like to see, both, you know, statewide, but certainly with the new mayor's administration. So we're talking about two ways. We're talking about always stops, department of yeah, transportation. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I think from a policy perspective, one thing I would like to see is a revised speed hump policy. Currently, the speed hump policy is just very like onerous. It's very hard to get speed humps on your block of your street. Because what? You need like 75% of the residents to agree? or something? It's, Yeah, it's not even residents. It's owners. Owners. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so if you're in a street with a block of your street, you know, just has a lot of, of renters and landlords are hard to even connect with, like you just can't get traffic calming on your street, which is just like a ridiculous hurdle for people yeah. to clear. So, you know, other cities, Detroit most notably, have just made it like really straightforward, really easy to do traffic calming on neighborhood streets. So a revised speed hump policy is, is one goal. I think another goal is uh, something we've sort of already alluded to is just making it a, a really big effort to replace traffic signals, especially in urban neighborhoods, traffic signals with always stops. What studies have shown is that when you have always stops, you know, you're not only decreasing the number of, of crashes that occur, but like the severity of those crashes. Right, because right. everybody's slowing down. Everyone's slowing yeah, down as yeah. they approach the intersection. And, it, and the default in, at a always stop intersection is for the pedestrian to have the right of way, right. which is not the case at a traffic signalized intersection. So and we've seen that, that implemented recently on 7th Street, right? Yeah, so the city has like done this in a few places and, you know, it just sort of did it and but hasn't really progressed with it. And I think it's, it's happened in a few different parts of town on Cherokee Road. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that has happened. Shout out to Jackie Cobb. Jackie Cobb. Yes. Who, thank you. Uh, it's a Streets for People volunteer. And she has, you know, spent two, three years of her life just like <laughs> pushing on that. And shout out to, you know, Brandon Cohen, the former council yes. member for that district who really pushed that as well. You know, and I think that was like a resident on a specific street pushing to a council person who was very interested in it. And, it, you know, it happened. Uh, <laughs> and I think the thing is, is like, this should happen everywhere. You shouldn't have to have like a super dedicated resident like Jackie Cobb on your street to make stuff like this happen. Like people yeah. who live in Old Louisville, on Chestnut Street in West Louisville, Chestnut Street in Phoenix Hill. Like, yeah. you know, these are other urban neighborhoods. Oak Street, you know, Dumanil, like all these streets are in urban neighborhoods and they're just, they have these traffic signalized roads where the traffic is, is timed to like 35 miles an hour. And that just creates a whole problem with you know, people speeding through the neighborhoods. And so I would like to see an effort from the city to replace all traffic signalized intersections in urban neighborhoods with always stops. Yeah. So that's like a, another policy that we've put forward at the city level. And then, if, and then we also have some, some like statewide proposals. And I think with the always stop too, you'd get less idling because you don't have to sit there and wait for the light to change, right? <laughs> you just actually continue on when the road is clear and safe. And it just, it, I see so many people just sitting there idling at red lights and I'm just like, ah, the system is broken. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I work in Old Louisville and, you know, every day when I'm like biking down Ormsby, yeah. you know, and like just seeing the people, you know, burning it down Second Street, burning it up Third Street, <laughs> you know, it, it's frustrating because you get so many people just like speeding to make the light. They know how the lights are timed. And then you also just get a lot of idling as well because people are just like waiting for a light to change. You know, it doesn't need yeah. to be that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the issues that affect our roadways, we talked about how KYTC is making a difference, but some of the policies that affect our roadways are statewide ones. And one that's come up recently as an issue that's before the General Assembly right now in Frankfurt is automated traffic enforcement. And Vision Zero Louisville announced that a new automated enforcement bill was filed on January 4th by Representative Rachel Rorix, a Democrat from the 38th District. Is that here in Louisville? Yeah, so Rachel is a new state-level congressperson. Sorry, Rachel, for butchering your title. <laughs> representative. Um, representative. Yeah, representative. And so she formerly was the legislative aide to Nicole George. Oh. And so Rachel has been involved in local politics for many years, um, and she ran for this office in the South Louisville neighborhoods and won. And I think very much when she was working with Nicole George, who is now the deputy mayor in Louisville, they were very interested in Vision Zero and, and discussions around that. And so she sort of immediately took this issue to the state, which is fantastic. That's so awesome. shout out to her. And so, yeah, this is, you know, a bill that's been put forward at the state level. And I think, you know, I don't really have a great sense of, like, what the goals are right now with the bill. I, I don't think it's, like, a thing that, practically speaking, there's, like, an expectation that it's going to get passed this year. But I do think the idea is, like, get it on the radar, get people yeah. talking about it, begin to build, a like, a broad coalition statewide. And I think... You know, I think what you see with this is is that it is an issue that like sort of cuts across party lines and isn't like a traditional thing where, you know, it's a purely Democratic or purely Republican issue. I, I think that what you see is that people everywhere feel like, yeah, people are driving too fast and like it would be <laughs> and it would be Can really nice some enforcement. It would be really nice if uh, you know, there's a way to better enforce that. And again, so automated traffic enforcement that refers to like speeding but also running of red lights. Okay. And so yeah, so all we're trying to do is, is legalize it. It doesn't even mean that, like, your city of Lexington or of Louisville would have to implement it. It would just mean that, like, those local governments have the ability to implement it, you know, if they wanted to. And this works through cameras and, I imagine, radar for the speed, right, where they're yeah. taking pictures of license plates of people who are violating our traffic laws, putting people in danger, and basically sending you a, a fine, right? Yeah, so it's a civil penalty, not like a criminal penalty. So there is a fine for it, like a parking ticket, for example. And yeah, that's the idea that you would take pictures of license plates of people who are I mean, disobeying. Everybody who drives across the new bridge is getting their mm -hmm. same thing. It's automated billing, right? But this um, would be for traffic violations. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it's, you know, there's over 20 states that already do this. My brother yeah. lives in Seattle. He talks about getting these fines from time to time when he drives. Yes, that's another thing. Is that it, is, it is a common thing across the United States, becoming more common every year. And so I do think, you know, I think like a lot of issues where maybe initially at some point it was on the fringe or like the technology wasn't there. I think right. certain states pick it up and it, it begins to be seen as like a more viable thing. And, and then it just becomes something that every state does. And so Kentucky would not be on the really Cutting bleeding, edge. bleeding <laughs> edge on this one. It would just be, you know, following a, a best practice that has been established elsewhere. And, you know, I think, you know, I think just like other states have just shown like the, the data is there to show that, 
you know, like it really does cut down on, on speeding. It's a great way to enforce, you know, especially in like high vulnerability areas like schools, you can like, just you can say this area is monitored stuff like that and to me it seems like a pretty straightforward thing i I know i have my own blind spots around what you know what's (laughs) what's good but i I am hopeful that like it is a conversation that can build like a broad constituency or broad broad support and louisville metro council's behind it right they passed a resolution in favor of it yeah yeah so i mean i think locally in louisville there is a lot of good energy behind it so it's a time for folks to get in touch with their legislators at the statewide level uh, about uh, this bill and share with your yeah, yeah your thoughts, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think right now trying to build awareness around this bill. And so, yes, get in touch with your state representative. So um, another piece of reform that Streets for People has been pushing for at the state level has to do with how KYTC makes decisions around projects. It's called shift scoring. Um, so I want to ask you about that and what the state's current criteria are for allocating these highway funds and really what those criteria ought to look like. Yeah. So I think actually this is an interesting conversation because my thinking about it has, no pun intended, shifted uh, in, <laughs> in recent months, I would say. And so, you know, where the lay of the land is now is the state has a scoring system, you know, zero to 100 for every project that gets brought forward. And so maybe, you know, let's say there are 700 projects that different parts of the state, um, whether it's a, you know, a city like Louisville or a city like Bowling Green says, we want this project scored. And so these are all brought forward and there's a scoring criteria based on like five criteria, zero to 100. And none of those criteria really consider like walkability, pedestrian mm. safety, placemaking, bike lanes, alternate modes of transportation, anything like that. And so, you know, like a project, like the Logan Street projects that we were just talking about, yeah. the two-way conversion or the Barstow, those sort of projects sort of like coming through the side door, you know, you, you kind of talk to your state senator and they kind of like are able to find a little bit of funding here, a little bit of funding there, and they get them in the budget, but they're not like, they don't score well in shift mm. because shift is sort of set up for, you know, if you look at what's being funded, it's all widenings and expansions and things Mm. like that. And so currently pedestrian safety projects don't really score well. And so the thought that I have had on this is that, you know, like let's put in that, that piece of scoring and other people have thought that apparently my understanding is that, that Jim Gray actually, the, the transportation secretary is pushing for this at a very high level to include. So that's, that's great. The problem is, is that it's still only going to be like 5% of the total scoring. (laughs) And so it's just like a nominal amount that, you know, like if if you, you know, if, um, you know, before you scored like a 38 out of a (laughs) hundred and were the, you know, the 390th ranked project, (laughs) now you're going to score 43 and you're going to be, you know, the 280th project. And so my sense from talking to people at the state levels is not really going to change what projects get funded. And so, you know, this is still like an evolving idea for me. But I think what I'd like to go forward with is like an own dedicated funding source that is like, let's say 2.5% of the overall state budget is for this other bucket, this other type of project. And they get scored not mm-hmm. according to the shift criteria, but to the the, the bikes criteria, mm, you know, or, okay. you know, to make up a different acronym. Right. Doesn't have to stand for <laughs> you know, but just to say like, you know, 2.5% sounds like not a lot. And, you know, it is sort of like begging for the small yeah, little bit. Yeah. But I will say, you know, like a, a project, again, a project like 
the Logan Shelby two-way conversion. That's a $3 million project. That's like really in this state, literally one of a kind. If you look at the budget from the state, it's the only project that's, that mentions the word calming. Wow. It's the only two-way conversion coming out of the state wow. at all, period, in this current budget. It's, so it's $3 million. Fantastic. Just to put that in a frame of reference, the highway interchange at I-71, <laughs> you know, there's a collection of projects between I-71 and 265, and the state has labeled this, I Move Kentucky, this like this yeah. project. That's a $180 million project um, for million. that project. So like $3 million for, <laughs> for, for this two-way conversion versus $180 million for that. Barton Road, that project was... Not even one and a half million dollars. So, really? like, you know, like if if you're if you're looking at what kind of money is needed to do mm. these kind of projects, like it's yeah. very much uh, on a much smaller scale, which goes into a broader point, a sustainability point of yeah. like, how are we spending our money? Why are we spending so much money? Uh, but it's sort of like uh, accepting. The world that we live in, where you know the broad majority of, of transportation dollars are going to go towards big highway widenings and things like that, you know, if if we can have a system in that that includes like a dedicated funding source that is just for mm. sort of these multimodal pedestrian safety projects, I think that would be amazing, and that would be that would mean that like there. Uh, Bowling Green or Lexington or Covington, you know, cities across the state would would sort of have a way to access these funds, you know, uh, that, that wouldn't require like, you know, just like s such specific advocacy, uh, mm -hmm. you know, around it. It's something they could plan for and say, okay, you know, ev we know that every year the state is going to be allocating, wow, yeah. you know, uh, 40 to 50 million dollars. Yeah. Let's get our Let's, let's start prioritizing projects for Wonderful. for that funding source. That's a great vision. My guest here on the 300th edition of Sustainability Now is Chris Glasser. He was here for my very first program in April of 2017. So excited to get him back and get updates about what's going on with Streets for People. You can find out more at streetsforpeople.org. There's just a couple more uh, policies can, I wanted can to I touch say, on. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like you're underselling me a little bit. I think I was also here at the 100th. Sorry. Yes, and the he's been here all along. And the 200th <laughs> as well. So I just want to say I'm he's so, my milestone. so honored to be all these milestones. <laughs> like, I can't even believe that you keep bringing me back. And it's always, not that you bring me, not only that you bring me back, but always at those big milestone episodes. I feel so honored. Oh, it's great. It's so fun to have you. Uh, so yeah, two more policies of Streets for People is all about, and they're both they're both local for here in Louisville. Let's talk about e-bikes, Chris. I have seen so many more electric bikes uh, on our streets these days, which means I'm seeing more bikes. I, I really feel like e-bikes are, are bridging a divide for people who might not have gotten on a bike otherwise, right? Totally. Yeah. And I would even count myself as one of those people. So, I mean, obviously I had been on a bike, but 10 years ago when I moved to Louisville, I was, you know, a single man living in old Louisville. I was biking two miles to work or not even that. Today, I live a little bit more suburban and I have two children. So my, my commute now is like five or six miles. So I have an e-bike e and it makes getting to and from work very, yeah. actually very convenient and enjoyable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially in, in the summer months, the more 
extreme months, the summer and winter months, like just makes it more possible. And I think, yeah, it, it bridges that divide for a lot of people. And so I'm just like one example of, of a person that's made it, it's made my life easier. And so, yeah, so I personally am a big advocate for e-bikes, but I think, you know, they're expensive. Cost, <laughs> they are expensive. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's like a super important part of it. Uh, one thing I will say is like, there is a precedent for this. In a lot of ways. One, the city already uh, has a, a rebate for electric lawn equipment. Yeah. So we're just sort of modeling off that. It's like, okay, we already say as a city that we value, you know, your willingness to buy an electric lawnmower over a gas-powered lawnmower right. or a leaf blower. So, like, we could just say the same thing about a bike versus a car. You know, it's the same logic there. But it's also the same logic that, like, you know, we're modeling after cities like Denver um, or, you know, it's like, at this point, it's like almost countless others of cities that are either, like, already have a pro an e-bike program in place, a rebate of, like, $400 for an e-bike, or are, like, strongly considering and looking into it. So I think, like, it, it's just it's just another one of those things where you just look around the country and see that there is a desire to, like, incentivize this other mode of transportation and the benefits it will have for public health and things like that are, I think, are undeniable. Yeah, so this rebate program for replacing your lawn equipment with electric is run through the Air Pollution Control District, and we could run this same e-bike rebate program through them, right? And it would not just improve our air quality. There were so many more benefits to having fewer cars on the roadways. It means it's safer for everybody. It's obviously healthier for the rider, especially when it's a pedal assist e-bike and not one of those that you just sort of sit on and it drives you around. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and yeah. then the parking issue, let's talk about like how much of our city is devoted to just parking all these vehicles, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I think that's a part of like how how built out we are yeah. you know, with all the suburban sprawl and the the highway expansion projects that we do. It's be you know when we build or we put in like a hundred eighty million dollar project on I seventy one and two sixty five. You know that makes it, it induces demand for living that far out, which means yeah. it also creates more demand for parking downtown and less sort of demand for like people living and, and walking and living their lives downtown and so i think you know currently there are no parking requirements for for downtown like we as a city have removed that from our Thank books goodness. which is which is great but is but it you know that sort of like policy lever can only go so far when we still as a state invest so much money in moving cars and what and when we do that we also need a place to store our cars so it becomes like just a downward cycle for sure yeah, and what makes a, a, an urban area vibrant and walkable is density. And you can't have density with vast parking lots, right? Uh, and parking garages are very expensive to build. So if you have to accommodate all these cars, it's just going to be a problem for you. Whereas if you think about moving people rather than moving cars, then you're changing the conversation. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I do think like so much of the transportation conversation is a land use conversation. And I think that we are getting to a point where we, at least in our urban areas, are having better conversations yeah. around land use. And that's good. I think you know we do see more housing coming in in downtown, and you know I personally don't mind seeing all the hotels come in either. You know I think there's just so much that can and needs to happen downtown to to create vibrancy. So like yeah. more people, more housing, yeah. more things like that. That that's great. And I think it's a good thing that we don't have the the parking requirements in downtown because that does create the opportunity to devote more space to people. Yeah. 
Okay, I want to I want to talk about hotels and tourism in a second, but let's wrap it up with the last thing that Streets for People is really pushing for right now is roadway modernization, a roadway modernization fund for Louisville that would invest in something called intelligent transportation systems. What is that? Yeah, I think it's just something that's not so much on people's radar as some other things, but I do think it's a thing that was a bit of a blind spot for us as yeah. a city. So like every time we talk about a two-way conversion of a street, the budget for that project you know sort of boggles people's minds a little bit. So mm. like the second and third street two-way conversion, which has been discussed, uh, so that would be you know all the way from essentially downtown to Old Louisville and U of L. You know, it has like a three to five million dollar price tag. <laughs> and really, the price tag is in traffic signal modernization. Mm-hmm. Um, because our traffic signals are literally like 60, <laughs> 70 years old, they need to be modernized. They're a piece of infrastructure that needs to be kept up just like anything else. So, like, you know, over the past decade, the city has seen like our city streets have been like, it's like cracked. These are, you know, not functional. We need to, you know, set aside 20 to $25 million a year for investment citywide in road repaving. Yeah. And, and that's seen as just like basic infrastructure for our of roads. Of course, we have to do that. Yeah. We, of, course, <laughs> of course, we have to do that. And, you know, you take that for better or for worse. We don't think of that way about our traffic signals. Right. And we should. And we need to. And that's what's driving up all the costs, whether it's 7th and 8th Street, you know, the two-way conversion there, the 2nd and 3rd Street. Any project, you know, it's price tag is going to go way, way up when you're looking at the traffic signalization. And so instead of like assigning this price tag to a two-way conversion, I think the thought Mm. is to say like, look, the cost isn't associated with a two-way conversion. The cost is associated with the out-of-date infrastructure Mm, and systems that we have. And, you know, we need to update it, you know, sort of regardless of whether or not we have a two-way network or a one-way network. These signals are like 70 years old. And my sense is that the cost of these signals is holding up so much else that could and should be happening for making you know, streets for people. And the new signals could be more energy efficient, which would help the city with its energy goals and sustainability goals. Yeah, and they can, I think, you know, like these smart transportation tools, like they can help with like transit as well, where they right. are able to sense a bus coming. Mm-hmm. And so they hold the green light a little bit longer. So we, we do have these sort of transportation systems or the technology in certain segments of the city, like the Dixie Highway Project oh, implemented yeah. these uh, sort of smart signals. They're just not like a citywide thing. Yeah, and, and, you yeah, know, yeah. We were able to do that on Dixie Highway because we had federal funds, you know, and that was yeah. like a lot of money that really <laughs> went into like signalization. And I think, honestly, I think so much of the conversation locally gets distorted because it's like, why does a two-way conversion cost, you know, $10 million? Yeah. And it's like the two-way <laughs> conversion, like the, the yellow line that you're painting, paint. yeah. it's not the paint. <laughs> it's the <laughs> it's signals. The signals. <laughs> and so one way to change that is to make signals into stop signs. Stop signs. Yeah, then you don't, don't need them. Don't cost anything. So that's one way to save money. But the other way to address the cost is to recognize that we need, you know, a higher technology in our traffic signals. All right. We just have a couple minutes left. I said I wanted to talk about tourism. The tourism cabinet has come out with this ridiculous proposal for a tunnel from the fairgrounds to downtown. I can't believe they're really proposing this. Whereas Streets for People at streetsforpeople.org has a great idea about a summer transit network for tourists. What, what are these two visions? 
Well, yeah. So the state's tourism cabinet came out with this like Elon Musk tunnel idea. <laughs> and, you know, like the price tag for it is, you know, again, in the hundreds of millions of dollars or just like an insane <laughs> amount of money. Because what everyone wants to do when they visit Louisville is go underground, right? The mega cavern is. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it, it, it it's such a weird solution. And I think other cities have tried it. Like there's a tunnel in Vegas. And it's, I mean, it's just such like a you know an <laughs> underwhelming piece of like a solution like it, it's just like a tunnel with cars in it and we're paying you know so much money for that like but the thing for me is is like louisville doesn't have like traffic problems like right, what are we right, right. like why why do we need this but i do think like the thing that the tourism cabinet is like sort of keen in on is is that there needs to be better connectivity yeah for people coming to town you know for church downs for the fairgrounds uh, for connecting them to old louisville connecting them to downtown primarily and the hotels there and just like having that connectivity currently I think this is a failure of Tark. They don't have a good line that does that. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, that's a that's a huge oversight from Tark. They've dropped the ball. Like, hey, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry to be the person to hate on Tark, but like <laughs> we don't have a good way if you are staying in a hotel in Nulu, if you're staying in a hotel in, in downtown, like to get to the airport. And so you do have to call an Uber if you're from in from out of town. So anyway, so the point here is, you know, I think with a dedicated sort of tourism line, it's to address this idea from the state and say, okay, we're going to take this idea seriously of like, there needs to be a way for tourists to get around our city. You know, they don't have a car, so how are they going to get around? So that's the concern. That's a serious question, I think. And I think, you know, what I'm trying to put forward is to say, one, how about we, like, take them through Old Louisville? Old Louisville show is— Show them our is, beautiful city. Yeah. Show them our beautiful city. Show them, like, the most unique aspect of our city that, right. like, is this amazing asset that we have. So I think the idea is to connect Waterfront Park to yeah. downtown to yeah. Old Louisville to U of L to Churchill Downs. All these things are, like, three miles apart total. And then, you know, connect— <laughs> that over to the fairgrounds and the airport into like a single line and, and you only know, have to do it for six months out of the year right yeah i mean so i think if it's going to work for tourists it needs to have a high frequency like yeah. you need to have like uh headways that you know aren't you know every 20 minutes like it needs to be a thing where like a person can leave their hotel and just really expect that the bus is going to be coming for them soon yeah and so you're really investing in the frequency of of the route so uh, this is really honestly like not like a unique idea it's like there's been a talk for a long time about better connectivity from the airport to the fairgrounds to downtown using like the fourth street corridor but to me it was just like offensive to see the suggestion that we build a tunnel for mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. when you know it baffles me that we don't lean in to old louisville more like as yeah. a city this like it is an amazing neighborhood yeah. it is one of a kind like they are currently filming like ethan hawk and steve zahn are like currently filming a movie in, oh, old, wow. on, in old louisville on like st james court and it's like wow this is the one part of town that like if you show to the rest of the world <laughs> you know they're like oh this is amazing like you have this like uh, this is fantastic and it's just like we just look past it as a city we don't even like think yeah. about it and it, mm -hmm. bl it blows my mind now. i would just love to see the city in the state to say you know what like just thinking about tourism okay bourbon bringing people churchill <laughs> churchill downs horse racing like let's show them these beautiful victorian mansions yeah. built in the 1880s and yeah. like let them get swept away with that kentucky yeah. spirit like come on like just <laughs> lean into it a little bit you know 
Well, I'm so sorry we're out of time. We didn't even touch on everything I hope to talk about, but you can learn more at streetsforpeople.org. Episode 400. Episode 400 is coming right around yeah. the bend. Thank you, Chris Glasser from Streets for People, for joining me here on the 300 Sustainability Now. Thank you, Justin. All right, stay tuned, everybody. Got a whole bunch of events coming up this week for you to get engaged in sustainability, so get your calendars out. We'll be back in a minute.
edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. Get your calendars out, folks. In honor of 300 shows, why don't you take some action for sustainability this week? So many great options. As you heard on last week's program, the 299th January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And in honor of that, L will be hosting a Human Trafficking 101 workshop open to everybody on Tuesday, January 24th from 5 to 7 p.m. And it is all online. You can join from anywhere. Just drop in for part of it. If you can't be there the full time, you can join the L Women's Center and the PATH Coalition, People Against the Trafficking of Humans, PATH Coalition of Kentucky, for an interactive workshop on human trafficking and prevention Learn more and find the link to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also coming up on Tuesday the 24th, Trees Louisville is having a Canopy Core training, and it's via Zoom on Tuesday the 24th from 2.30 to 2 p.m. If that doesn't work for you, you can also do it on Wednesday, January 25th from 5.30 to 7 p.m., or, if you prefer learning how to plant trees in person, which I certainly would, the date for that is coming up this Saturday, January 28th, 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. in the Bon Air neighborhood, KYTC property near the Waterson Expressway. Trees Louisville will host their last planting canopy core training of the season, taking place this last week of January to train new volunteers in proper tree planting and urban forestry practices. Participants must join one of the two Zoom sessions or the in-person session on Saturday. More information is at treeslouisville.org. Now, Wednesday, January 25th, it's pruning and pints at 3.30 to 5.30 p.m., meeting up at Shipping Port, 1221 West Main Street. Louisville Metro Parks invites you to join them for a free tree pruning tutorial. We will prune from 3.30 to 5 p.m. and then head down the street for a well-deserved pint. Just meet up on Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. at Shipping Port there at 1221 West Main. We will then walk about a block to prune and then whip back around for some brews to celebrate our hard work. Tools and gloves will be provided. Dress for the weather, rain or shine. Sign up at My Impact app and you can find the link for that at bestparksever.com. It's at 3.30 on Wednesday the 25th. Pruning and pines. How about that? Coming up on Thursday, oh, it's trees this week. This is a week to get your tree work done, my friends. Get some, tr- Learn how to plant trees. Get some trees in the ground. Do some pruning. It's so great. Trees Louisville is having a tree planting this Thursday, January 26th at the Alpha Kappa Alpha House in Shively. And that'll be from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on Thursday. You can join them to help plant 30 trees on the property. If you'd like to volunteer, just contact Morgan at treeslouisville.org. And again, more information is always at treeslouisville.org. Also on Thursday, the 26th, 
UK's Center for Appalachian Research in Environmental Sciences is hosting an advocacy training online, so you can join from anywhere, from 1 to 4 p.m. on Thursday. Advocating for our communities is something many people know is important, but many also feel unsure about where to start. Some are skeptical if there is a tangible way to be heard. Well, this training is offered by the University of Kentucky's Center for Appalachian Research in Environmental Sciences and is for every who wants to create change and would like to use advocacy tools to communicate the results of research and have their voices heard, addressed, and hopefully met. We'll explore collective power and the use of established strategies of community organizing, and we'll have breakout groups for those who can educate and inform policymakers such as faculty and government employees. We will discuss many tools that allow us to be heard or allow us to amplify the voices of others. We'll also use some of those tools together in real time. What matters to you in your community is important, and these tools are designed to empower you to make change. You need to register for Thursday's training by Wednesday the 25th, and you can find the link to do so at twitter.com slash ukcares and the number one. Twitter.com slash ukcares1 for the Thursday 1 to 4 p.m. advocacy training on Zoom. Also coming up, speaking of trainings coming up, uh, you won't want to miss Thursday's next Project Warm Energy Management Workshop. Uh, They are holding these workshops throughout the community to help people learn how to save energy and thus reduce your greenhouse gas emissions, reduce your LG&E bill by 10 to 30% with some of these simple tricks you can learn from Project Warm helping people through energy conservation. And again, the next training is coming up on Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Southwest Regional Library there on Dixie Highway. Uh, If you want to learn more or register for that workshop coming up on Thursday at 6 p.m., you can go 502-933-0029. And then there are two more of these energy management workshops coming up at different locations in February. On February 3rd, They'll be out at the Wilderness Road Senior Center on Blue Lick Road. And on February 9th, it wraps up at the first neighborhood place in Rangeland Road. You can learn more about that at projectwarm.org. All right. Now, also on Thursday at 6 p.m., it's the Community Garden Grant Workshop, an introduction to Louisville Grows Community Garden Toolkit and Grant Program. There's actually two different workshops taking place in the near future. The first one is Thursday the 26th, 6 to 7.30 p.m., at the Healthy House there at 1641 Portland Avenue. Same location on Saturday, February 4th from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The Louisville Grows Community Garden Grant provides funding and in-kind materials for new, revitalizing, or expanding gardens managed by community members. Groups may apply for funding of garden construction, soil prep, seeds and starts, tools, rain barrels, and other irrigation methods, fencing and or compost or other gardening needs. The workshop will focus on the community garden toolkit, grant application requirements, and other benefits of the grant. A representative from the community garden must attend one of these workshops in order to submit a grant application. Anyone interested in attending to learn more about our community garden toolkit or to apply for the grant can register for a free ticket at tinyurl.com slash lg garden workshop 
number two three tinyurl.com slash lggardenworkshop23. Now, also Thursday is the kickoff of the Organic Association of Kentucky's 2023 conference. It's being held out in Frankfurt at KSU. Uh, it's a great annual event, uh, not-to-miss event, featuring Kentucky farmers' production, deep dives, research highlights, food system innovations, market opportunities, and the expanding oat network. For three days of learning and growing together, you can learn more and register today at oak-ky.org. Now, the Urban Agriculture Coalition is holding a Winter Orchard Brigade this coming Saturday, the 28th, from 9 a.m. to noon at the Incubator Farm out on Miller's Lane, 3122 Miller's Lane. And the season continues throughout February with more winter pruning of our community orchards. You can learn more and sign up to volunteer at foodinneighborhoods.org slash grow. Also on Saturday the 28th, it's a forest in the city, the human and natural history of the Beargrass Creek State Nature Preserve out at the Louisville Nature Center from 10 a.m. to noon. Our little forest has seen many changes over the centuries and has been put to many uses by Louisville's growing population. But now it's wilder than ever and is the largest roadless area in the entire city. Wow. Join us to learn the unique stories of an urban forest. It's an indoor and outdoor program with a one-hour hike for adults and those 12 and up. Get your tickets at louisvillenaturecenter.org. And also want to let you know Louisville Grows is seeking volunteers to help Canvas to identify homeowners who would like to become tree recipients during the March 18th South End Community Tree Planting. They're doing this every afternoon through February 12th with a meetup location at the Value City Parking Lot, 3426 Preston Highway, uh, at different times uh, for different dates. If you want to get to know the neighborhoods along the Preston Highway corridor and those who live there, well, join Louisville Grows as we canvas Preston Highway neighborhoods in District 20 going door-to-door looking for those who are willing to host trees on their property. Canvassing is a great way to get to know your community and to speak for the trees. Volunteers will be trained and paired up with our expert canvassers to educate and advocate for restoring our urban canopy. The community tree planting will take place on March 18th. You can learn more and see the volunteer shifts available and sign up for a two or three hour shift that works for you at tinyurl.com slash canvas south end 2023. And lastly, final time to remind you, don't landfill your old Christmas tree. You can mulch them instead. Christmas tree drop-off sites are available for all Louisville and Jefferson County residents at three different locations. East District Recycling Center, 595 North Hubbard's Lane. The Public Works Yard at uh, 10500 Lower River Road, enter from Bethany Lane. And right here in downtown at the Waste Reduction Center, 636 Merriweather Avenue. Trees can be dropped off Tuesday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Though the Merriweather Avenue site closes at 3 on Saturday. And you can do that through January 28th. This is your last week to do it. The Hubbard's Lane site will also instantly recycle your Christmas trees into mulch that can be given right back to you for home use. Those wishing to receive mulch must bring an appropriate container in which to carry it. Of course, all lights and ornaments should be removed from trees before they are dropped off. Hey, and that's all the time we have for here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in for 300 shows, and I look forward to being with you next week for number 301 right here on Forward Radio. Be well. Be well.